Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewall's Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Gary Parker, and we've got another interview for you this week. Uh, and this weekend next, it's going to be another two-parter. Uh, I really like digging deep into some of these discussions, so I almost, almost always end up being a two-parter. And this one, we're going to be speaking with Renee Dudley from ProPublica, a wonderful organization, one that I full, uh, whole, wholeheartedly support, about uh, ransomware. And it comes up often, but these guys have done some really good investigations and deep dives into... Really, ransomware as an industry, uh, it's gotten to be a really popular hacking technique and because it's really lucrative. It's become, in fact, it's become such a thing, you know, that there's ransomware actually now has support teams like an IT department. Uh, you can rent ransomware if you're a hacker. You don't even have to write it. You can just find services where you want to say, okay, it's kind of like placing ads on Facebook. I want to I want to run a ransomware campaign. Okay, great. How much do you want to spend? And, you know, it's just gotten crazy. Uh, and then, of course, you know, whenever there's risk, there's going to be insurance companies and cyber insurance companies have stepped up to try to help to protect these companies uh, because the guys are going after the big companies now or used to be kind of more of going after as many people as they could, uh, you know, average Joes. Uh, the people with the money are the big corporations and the and the people that have the most to lose are the companies that have the most to lose because they've got all this data on the line and and they could be out of business or they could lose their customers. It's, you know, it's a big deal. So, uh, you know, so cyber insurance companies now come on the scene and that's a thing. And there are for pay incident response teams, which the cyber insurance companies engage on your behalf to try to recover your data. And as we'll find out today, uh, they are not all above board. So fascinating discussion, very illuminating. Uh, we'll be talking with Renee here shortly. Uh, before I do, there are a couple of quick news items I want to just kind of put out there. We'll talk about these probably more in depth, uh, after this pair of interviews, um, First of all, TikTok. If, so this app is really kind of more popular with the young kids. Uh, but if you know if you have this app installed, I would seriously consider just uninstalling it and dropping your account. There's been several stories coming out about this company that's uh, uh, based in China, and like many companies in China, if it's if it's a company in China, you basically have to assume that they are in cahoots with the Chinese government. And there's been a lot of privacy concerns. There's been a lot of security concerns. Uh, India, as last I heard, I don't know if this has changed, last night, India has outright banned the use of this app, where there's actually our Secretary of State and the U.S. here has actually floated some possibilities of banning it here as well. Uh, some of that's political, um, but just from a purely cybersecurity and privacy standpoint, it still looks like a nightmare, and I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. So anyway... Uh, we'll probably revisit that one, but if you're, if you're a TikTok user, I would very seriously consider not being one. And also it, if you're one of the millions of people who had one of your applications just refused to launch recently, like Waze or Spotify or Pinterest, uh, you can thank Facebook. Uh, you might ask why, well, you know, Facebook provides a software development kit that they provide for free, probably, or cheap to all these developers of these software apps to give them certain functionality, in particular like login with Facebook is one thing, but you know that under the covers, what they're also doing is extracting as much data about you as possible. Well, Facebook had some sort of a glitch in that uh, recently, and it caused a lot of the apps that were based on this SDK software development kit to not be able to launch. So by the time this comes out, hopefully that will be fixed. But if you uh, had that issue, now you know why. All right, so that's enough of that. Now, let's get to our interview about ransomware with Renee Dudley. 
All right, Renee Dudley is a senior reporter at ProPublica. Prior to that, she has worked at Reuters, Bloomberg News, and the Post and Courier in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, welcome to the show, Renee. Thanks very much. Uh, so, you know, why don't we start off? Why don't you just tell us what sort of work you do at ProPublica and maybe just tell us a little bit about ProPublica itself. Yeah, uh, ProPublica Pro is a New York-based investigative newsroom, nonprofit newsroom, um, and we we tend to focus on big enterprising stories that, you know, aren't typically covered by the rest of the mainstream media. And I'm a technology reporter. And last year, I spent most of the year reporting on ransomware Mm. in ways that, you know, aren't typically covered um, by the news media. And uh, what I mean by that is we, um, you know, you, you see stories really every day about <laughs> ransomware and that's yep. been the case for for a few years now mm-hmm. um and it's typically you know sort of news of the day generally speaking you know this city was hit this hospital right, was hit right. and it doesn't go into too much more beyond that and we we decided it and often it's dismissed as you know even though it's the most common cyber crime it's often dismissed as a foreign and unsolvable problem, and we um, at ProPublica thought, well, you know, I, you know, I bet there's some U.S. connections to the world of ransomware mm. um, because there's so many victims in in the mm. U.S. And you know, we 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 figured we should look at what what's happening um, um, on the U.S. side of the equation be, beyond. Um, what's happening to victims, and so that's what we what we spent last year focusing on, and it resulted in a series called the Extortion Economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, that and that was what tripped me off. I I, I read that article, the uh, one of them anyway, called uh, uh, the Extortion Economy: How Insurance Companies Are Fueling a Rise in Ransomware Attacks, which is going to be our focus today. Um, it was really very interesting. Of course, it led to some of the other articles you read on the same topic. Um, but before we get into the cyber insurance part, cause that's, that's kind of the interesting twist on this, but let's, let's back up and let's just kind of refresh our memory a little bit about what ransomware is, you know, kind of as an industry. Cause you, like you say, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of, you know, kind of splashy headlines of this, you know, this school system or this company was, you know, extorted for this amount of money. And then it kind of goes right. away, but you know, they don't really get into the, the meat of it, which is what I want to do with you. So. Why don't you give us a quick refresher on, you know, what is ransomware? It kind of, I think we know that probably, but then how does it work? Like, you know, like, how do you know you've been infected? How do you know who to pay? Sure. Uh, that kind of thing. Sure. So, um, you know, a, a lot of people don't necessarily know what ransomware is. And, you know, and, and until you've been hit, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have reason um, to have to know. Um, but it's a, it's a, for the uninitiated, it's a type of malicious software that encrypts your computer files and makes your computer um, renders it useless because you can't open anything. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's called ransomware is because um, with this type of malware, a ransom is demanded for the decryption keys. And it's, um, you know, there, there's been the way that this is transacted has um, taken different forms over the years. But, you know, some of the common ways are, you know, when, when after you've been hit, typically a ransom note will appear on your screen saying you've been hit by, you know, 
this strain or that strain. There are hundreds and hundreds of different cool. types of ransomware. You know, maybe a dozen or so are, are you know extremely popular at any given time. And either it will provide an email address, you know, a throwaway email address where you can contact the hacker for details of how to pay, or it'll direct you to, um, you know, uh, usually, you know, Tor website, uh, Tor site where, um, uh, you know, there's a portal where you can pay. Hmm. And, uh, you know, typically over those portals and certainly over email, you'll be communicating with the hacker or somebody affiliated with the hacker um, to transact the payment, which is almost always in Bitcoin, although right, yeah. um, hackers have experimented with other types of cryptocurrency as well. So, you know, how big are these ransom demands? What, are we, what, are we, what kind of money are we talking about here? And uh, can, you, can you haggle with these guys? Yeah. Uh, yes, you can. Um, strangely enough. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because as ransomware has evolved and become a bigger and bigger problem um, and the targets have gotten bigger and bigger, um, the, de- the demands have grown. Hmm. And so, you know, a few years ago, r- really um, ransomware took off right around the same time, you know, sort of in concert with Bitcoin taking off. Because before that, even though, of course, the technology existed to develop, you know, know, hackers had the the, the tools to develop technology to develop and spread ransomware, they didn't have a way of monetizing Hmm. um, safely for them because, you know, any kind of ransom payment would include a bank paper trail so then bitcoin made it quite easy and um you know it 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 took off as a you know as a as a type of cyber crime and initially you know hackers used what's been described to me as a sort of spray and pray approach (laughs) um you know of um you know phishing emails and you know targeting individual home users you know, anybody with an email address, um, hoping that, you know, somebody will click on, you know, and download, a, you know, an attachment, you know, containing mm-hmm. their, their payload. And in those times, you know, you'd see demands, you know, as low as $300, a few hundred dollars. And then, you know, it started creeping its way up a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, you know, that type of thing. Um, and that really looks so small and, um, minuscule in the, in comparison to what we're seeing today. And the spray and pray approach is not really, you know, in, in, uh, you know, as heavily favored anymore, um, among hackers who are now going after, you know, bigger companies, um, and, you know, you know, bigger targets that they know can afford to pay more. And so you've seen ransom demands creep up into the millions, tens of millions of dollars. And so you said that you can haggle because I'd heard that somewhere. Yes. Um, So one of our stories focused on the data recovery industry, and I'm happy to describe more of the details of the players there. But like any industry, there are 
you know, very, um, you know, uh, straightforward above board players. And there are some that um, are less so. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll set aside some of the less transparent players that we mm. highlighted in, in one of our articles. And, um, you know, we'll focus on the ones that, that are straightforward with the clients. Um, so with these um, uh, incident recovery firms, they, typically they, you know, the, the above board ones um, present clients with their options you know, realistically. Um, in other words, if you don't have reliable backups, you know, you, you and you really, really need your data back, you probably have no choice but to pay the ransom. And so these incident response firms will help you do that. They, they essentially negotiate on your behalf. And you know, some of the ones that we interviewed for our story, um, you know, describe the way that they um, go back and forth and to negotiate um, with the hackers and try to talk them down um, in price. And, you know, it's like any other business where, you know, once you have a reputation, um, even if the hackers don't know you know, who you are specifically by name, if you're using the same pseudonym to negotiate time and time again, <laughs> they, they have a sense that you're probably working on behalf of many clients. Mm. And, you know, if you've paid before, then they know that you're, <laughs> you know, you're reliable and that you're likely to pay again. So um, it, it's a little bit of an incentive on, on for everybody. Um, you know, the, the hackers, uh, may uh, lower the price because they know it's a reliable payment source or or just because of negotiation tactics. You know, we only have, you know, this is the maximum we can go. But, you know, it's a, you know, frequently, I would say, um, hackers are willing to negotiate on the final amount. So if, if I were in this position and I was and this had happened to me, I, the, like the first two questions that came to mind, let's say I'd already determined that there's no way out of this except to pay. But the, the next two questions on my lips are going to be, okay, if I pay, am I really going to get my data back? You know, what what's the guarantee that I'm actually going to get these decryption yeah. keys? And the second is, what's the guarantee that they won't just come back again? Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're very good questions. Um, and I think that's on the minds of a lot of, of, a lot of victims. Now, you know, the FBI will tell you, you know, you shouldn't pay a ransom of course, because, yeah. um, you know, criminals are inherently untrustworthy, you know, of course. And there's no guarantee that, you know, if you pay, you're going to get your files back. Um, you know, you're going to get a decryptor in return. Professionals who work in this industry say if you pay, you are very likely in most cases, to get a decryptor in return, because that's part of the business model. You know, <laughs> if the, the hackers have to, re- you know, they view they view their work as, um, you know, their their business as. Um, they have a reputation know, to maintain. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, they this is a product, and we want a customer, you know, <laughs> air quotes customer to be satisfied, and you know, God forbid word gets out that, um, your product, um, <laughs> you know, isn't working correctly oh, or, geez. 
that, um, you know, a customer's been dissatisfied. And, and word truly does get out because there are um, well-known forums. Um, one of them um, I'm sure you're familiar with is called Bleeping Computer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a sort of common meeting ground for both both sides for well, hmm. for all sides, for, you know, the hackers, victims, um, you know, incident response and data recovery firms. And, you know, if somebody learns that a victim's paid for a decryptor, but it was never received, you know, you better believe that it'll be on a form like Bleeping Computer hmm. and, you know, the hacking group will be named and shamed. <laughs> oh, it's funny, just funny to hear it said that way. But yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, all right, so yeah, you, you've said some of these you know, get up in the millions, but like as an industry, like it, it, do you have a sense for like in 2020 or maybe in 2019, however these stats are kept, do we, do we know like how much money was paid in ransoms, uh, like a, in the last year or so? Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic question. And the answer is no. Um, you know, ransomware is drastically underreported. Mm. You know, if you look at uh, the FBI's, um, statistics from um, their in Internet Crimes Division. I think last year there were something like 1,500 reports of ransomware. And it, it, we, we know that this is a serious underreporting, um, first of all, just by the volume of daily news stories that you read about this. Um, you know, yeah. I, I have a Google Alert set up oh, for sure, ransomware. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, you know, a fire hose of incidents every day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But, but the other, you know, a, you know actual metric um, that's out there is, you know, we, we did a profile of um, a, a gentleman named Michael Gillespie who runs a site called ID Ransomware that aims to help victims of ransomware. And essentially the way it works is um, victims of ransomware can upload a sample encrypted file and learn what type of ransomware mm. that they've been hit by, whether a free decryptor exists. Because, you know, for many of these strange people like Michael Gillespie and his, um, you know, collaborators have developed free decryptors. So the site tells you if one exists or, or if, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, in many cases, you know, it doesn't exist. Um, and, 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 and it otherwise directs you to places where you can seek help. Mm -hmm. So his site gets something like 2,000 submissions a day. Oh, my God. So when you put that up to the FBI's 1,500 um, <laughs> reports annually, um, you know, even if, you know, even if, um, you know, Mr. Gillespie's site has, um, you know, duplicate submissions <laughs> or, um, yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, you take other factors into account you, you, there's still a massive discrepancy wow. and you know you have to keep in mind that you know n not everyone in the world knows about his uh you know his um you know oh, sure, run right. website so um so so under reporting is a huge problem and it's it's hard to come by reliable statistics both on you know incidents and you know by extension on the money at stake um, you know, the other element of this is, you know, companies, the companies that are paying the most, the heaviest prices, the, you know, the, the, the highest ransoms 
are, you know, your publicly traded companies. And we did an article looking at how how publicly traded companies have been loath to acknowledge when sure, they've yeah. been struck by ransomware because, you know, it's it's uh, sort of a taboo topic. You know, nobody wants to admit that they've been a victim um, because, you know, they're embarrassed. It They're afraid that it might show um, that they were somehow vulnerable, right. um, yeah, that sure. they left themselves vulnerable. That could spook investors. So they'll do they'll do whatever they can to avoid um, actually saying the term ransomware, and you know even even with um, you know public company reporting requirements yeah. you know by the SEC, you know our story focused on companies that use terms like um, malware incident or cyber intrusion, and you know we showed that they were actually talking about ransomware. Um, but you know, investor, the investing public, and the SEC wouldn't necessarily know that. Hmm. Um, you know, unless somebody like us pointed it out. And you know, those are the ones that are pay, You know, that those are the types of companies that have been targeted with these. You know, huge. You know, seven and eight figure ransoms. So, okay, so that brings up two questions. So. How, what are the, what are the, what are the rules? I know in the United States, we're trying to be pretty lax about this, um, certainly at the federal level, but I know there are some state uh, regulations around what must be reported in terms of cyber crimes. And then as you brought up with the SEC, I, how did, how do you hide this on your balance sheet? Is are you required to call it out as a line item or can you hide it in something else? What, what, what are the reporting requirements around these things? Well, I, if I'll start with the, um, I'll start with with the SEC one since we're on that topic. So, you know, publicly traded companies in the U.S. have to report material events. Events and materiality is, you know, notoriously, you know, hard to define. Mm, sure. Um, um, and, and that's no accident. Know, co- I'm sure. Corporate corporate lawyers will, you know, define it differently than mm. proactive investors might. But um, at its essence, you know, material, a material event is something that a reasonable investor would consider important. And I I don't think there's a big question that a lot of people would consider, um, you know, a a ransomware attack that shuts down business or disrupts operation for days or weeks on end, you know, an important event. So, that's the requirement. Now, what we found was um, companies will, they'll use terms to like malware um, or, or cyber intrusion, intrusion or cyber event and, and stick it in among the risk factors mm-hmm. or, you know, just drop it in a filing with a bunch of other you know, with a bunch of other things, and it, it, it's hardly noticed. The issue is they don't want to use the word ransomware because yeah, sure. of just how taboo it, it it's become. Um, now, on the state level, you brought up many states have requirements related to um, personally identifiable information. So, in other words, you know, if you're an entity operating in a particular state that has, you know, this reporting requirement, if you've had 
um, a cyber event, including ransomware, where um, people's personal information, like, mm-hmm. you know, names and address and, you know, social security number, you know, all, all manner of different information um, has been jeopardized or potentially jeopardized. You have to notify the state and, and um, you know, the people affected. And historically, companies have not reported ransomware or, you know, not felt that they've had to report ransomware because the sense was the hackers and ransomware attacks aren't actually stealing my files. They're just Mm. encrypting them to to which I've always said, you know, you're trusting a hacker. (laughs) Um, But in recent months, um, this, that thinking has been completely flipped upside down because the latest tactic among ransomware hackers, you know, beginning late last year is that they're stealing the data as leverage to make you pay the ransom. So they're stealing, you know, they're, they're stealing it, you know, as they're, Mm -hmm. as they're encrypting it and, using it, you know, either as direct, you know, you know, this is a taunting sort of situation. We've got this, you know, we're going to release it unless you pay the ransom or they're just posting it online or, or on the dark web um, or selling it on the dark web if you don't pay. Mm. Yeah. That's, yeah. That would be a whole different ball game. Right. Um, so, yeah. So it sounds like for most of the laws are, are around data breaches then it's around the, Correct. The making yes. making sure that you um, say something about it is, is only if it affects somebody besides you know you or the company. Correct. Yes. All right. So, who's who is behind these attacks? I mean, you know, I know that you know some people like to think that it's you know hacker kitties and they're in the basement or you know or sometimes we all go full tilt. Oh, it's North Korea or China. Uh-huh. What is it really? I mean, who is really doing these attacks? Yeah, that's a good question, too, and um, a hard one to answer because there have been um, there have there's never been a prosecution in the U.S. of a of a ransomware hacker. There was one indictment in November of 2018 related to um, the infamous Sam Sam ransomware Mm -hmm. that affected both big companies and big cities like Atlanta, it, it wreaked extensive damage and the hackers collected, um, you know, millions and millions of dollars in ransom and caused, you know, million, you know, I think the, the indictment said $30 million mm. in, or more in damages, wow. uh, you know, tens of millions in, in, in damages. And, the hackers behind Sam Sam, um, according to the Justice Department's indictment, um, were were Iranians who were tied to the to the regime, and that's one example where this has been this crime has been linked to, um, you know, a, a country that's hostile to the U.S. Hmm. Since then, uh, there. That that's the the one and only indictment um, that the U.S. has ever made pertaining to ransomware, and those those uh, the two Iranians who were indicted 
um, you know, have not been arrested, uh, right. of course, Shocking, because yeah. there's Extradited, no yeah. extradition treaty um, with Iran. But, um, you know, m- much of the ransomware that's out there is thought to be um, coming out of Russia and Eastern Europe. And um, malware analysts know that, um, you know, in, in part by looking at communications and keystrokes and, and you know, words and in, in, in the code and things like that. But it's not clear, um, you know, how closely this is tied to hostile state actors. Mm. So we don't know if it's you know, state sponsored versus, you know, Russian mafia kind of thing, it, organized crime. It, it, I know attribution is really difficult in these cases, but I'm just curious if we have a general sense of, you know, who, who the bad guys are. Well, we did in the Sam Sam case, and that was clearly tied to um, the Iranian regime. Um, but for many of the ones out today, you, you know, there, there isn't, there isn't a whole lot of attribution. Right. They operate in different ways too. You know, some of them, you know, some of the strains have, like we mentioned earlier, there's, you know, hundreds of different strains of ransomware. And, you know, maybe there's a dozen very active ones at any given time. And some of them are, they have different structures. Some of them are what's known as ransomware as a service, um, which is, you know, ransomware that's developed by, you know, one entity and then the, you know, product is sold to affiliates who, um, you know, actually distribute the stuff and it's more of a, you know, diffuse organization. And then um, others, um, you know, according to, to malware analysts, appear to be, you know, more centralized in their operations. Yeah, I think one of the craziest things I heard about ransomware uh, is that, that some of these actually have tech support. Like, you know, when you call into pay and you say, I don't know how to get Bitcoin or I don't know what to do. Yeah. How do I use my decryptor? They actually have they actually have people on call. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they'll, you know, there's, you know, sort of different departments, if you will, you know, different um, areas of expertise. You know, let me, let me transfer you. Who, exactly. <laughs> there's the people who, who do actually develop the malware. Um, you know, there's the experts in distribution and, hmm. and finding vulnerable entities to attack. You know, and then there's, you know, the people, you know, as you mentioned, on the other side of um, the keyboard who are doing the negotiating and sort of you know, customer service, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So obviously with any sort of common risk to be distributed, that is where insurance comes in and, you know, we've got insurance for everything. Uh, so why not insurance against ransomware? And that, as a, uh, that's where we kind of get in the meat of some of the stuff you've been talking about where things really kind of get interesting. So, and we've had some. We, have, we actually have had some a cyber insurance company rep on the uh, on, on the show before to talk about it. But I'm, this is mm. I'd like to get your perspective. So, but let's tell us a little bit about how cyber insurance works. Like, you know, what's a typical policy like? Is it you know what's a cost? What are other deductibles? Coverage limits? You know, is it like any other insurance? So ends part one of my interview with Renee, and next week we'll get into the whole cyber uh, cyber insurance industry and the incident response industry and uh, some of the shady dealings going on there and some of the real complexities with this whole new reality that we're living with uh, in the ransomware era. 
Microsoft and Apple and uh, Google, makers of the, the biggest three operating systems on the planet, uh, Windows, macOS, iOS, and Android, have all been trying to do their best to, um, you know, come up with clever ways to to block ransomware. But we're not there yet. Um, but we're, you know, it's a, so it's a cat and mouse game. But you know, hopefully we can hope for a future where this is not a problem. But for now, it's a big problem. And because of that, we now have an industry of insurers that are there to help protect you uh, and mitigate the risks. And we're going to get into that next week. The cybersecurity bundle from A-Press that was hosted on Humble Bundle is now over. I hope you managed to get uh, pick up a copy of my book for a buck. Uh, who knows when you'll see that one again. But the fourth edition of my book is going to be coming out shortly. I've turned in all the final drafts. It's with the publication team now. They're doing all the formatting, layout, and final editing and all that stuff. So that will take some time. Uh, but with any kind of luck, the book will be out in September by the, at the latest. I'm really kind of hoping for late August. If you would like to get a signed copy of that book, you can go to patreon.com and sign up for, if you sign up the right level, uh, I, we shall ship you a signed copy of the book whenever it comes out this fall. Or if you just like to support the efforts here, if you're really enjoying the program, uh, go to patreon.com and look for Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You'll find all the information there, and I would greatly appreciate it. And that will do it for this week. Uh, stay cool, everybody. It's been really hot out there. Uh, it's been a heck, of a, a heck of a heat wave here. So all the better reason to stay in your home and, uh, you know, sequester yourselves while we try to get through this whole COVID-19 thing. So stay home, stay healthy, stay safe. And as always, until next week, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.